Hello, Tecmo? Are you, are you going to start the intro? Oh, I'm on my own. I forgot. Uh, let's see. How do I do this? Uh, I think it's this button right here. Uh, no. How about this one? Nope. Uh, this one? All right, last button. Hopefully this one works. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please rise for the Grouch Anthem? No, no, no. With a Grouch Anthem, you stay sitting down. Down in front, man. You should never let people see your card. When to bluff, when to call. I did not raise. I flipped over the ace. I raked on the chip. Pretty good pop. Hey everybody, Nixon the Grouch here. Welcome to episode 10 of Badoogie All-Stars. I am flying solo, as you probably know from last week. Hopefully the quality doesn't revert all the way back to episode 1. I do have an outline that is a step forward. I'm missing a co-host that is a step back, though a small step back, knowing what you know about Techno Super Bowl. Um, he Again, he has deserted me, which is to say he is not here, not that he has taken pictures of me and posted them on his blog. That, that would be a little awkward. Guest today is 2-4 Offsuit. Uh, we'll get to that after we do a little bit of me jibber-jabbering to myself, which we'll see how that goes. At least it's harder for me to make stupid jokes when there's not somebody else to make fun of, so I'll have to make fun of myself, which actually shouldn't be too hard the way PLO has been going for me. Um, as we've been talking about in past weeks, I've been playing some 4PLO on Merge. Uh, it's still just a really hard game for me to wrap my head around. It's been kind of a struggle to put aside my no-limit tendencies, the idea of, you know, having the second nuts or the third nuts and it not being good is just really tough for me. I think that the biggest thing is going to be just trying to figure out, you know, which situation should I be bet folding? Which situation should I be checking? For example, I played a hand the other day where I rivered trips after the turn of check through on a three straight board. And, you know, my instinct there is to bet, but then I started thinking maybe I just have a bluff catcher. I'm not really sure. It's really just kind of frustrating to me to play these hands, you know, then I feel the instinct to bet. I don't bet and I end up winning the hand and I think I would have gotten called by worse two pairs. And, you know, maybe I should have checked it through. Am I really getting called by worse? It's just, it's hard for me. I don't know how to approach the hands yet to, enough to look at them, figure out what are the ranges um, you know, what is my equity here and there? So I can take hands that I've played, put them into pro poker tools, you know, play with different board cards, look at what would have happened if I'd had a backdoor flush, that sort of thing, and sort of see my equity. But it's still not to the point that I'm able to just put a hand in, think, oh, you know, I had 45% equity against a really, you know, reasonable range. I should have raised, I should have bet, I should have folded. It's still just a lot of throwing money in the pot and hoping that things work out. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, once I have a few hands under my belt, I can, you know, look through my database, review hands, run equities, make a video, all that kind of stuff. But right now, it's still, it's as frustrating as when I first started learning No Limit Hold'em, except I'm not deluded enough to think that I'm actually playing well. I'm not going to be calling off my uh, my stack in a tournament with 7-5 suited because it's suited, which seemed like a totally reasonable play to me when I first started No Limit. Um, right now, I just... I don't even know what a reasonable play is, which I guess means I'm a little more self-aware as I learn PLO than when I learn No Limit. But uh, on the other hand, I don't, I just feel confused the whole time, which is 
definitely tough. It's definitely not as easy of a game to transition to as I hoped it would be. But uh, the flip side of that being, I guess, that it's not an easy game to pick up. There's a lot of a lot of people that have probably deluded themselves into thinking they actually know what they're doing when they don't, which means you know plenty of dead money. Um, I was talking to Mitch the other day, and he was saying that you know play doesn't really get any more difficult as you move up through the levels until you reach you know much much higher stakes. So maybe I shouldn't be playing four PLO. Maybe I should put more money on merge and jump up to higher stakes because I have you know my most of my full tilt roll that I got off. Um, not to brag like Tecmo does all the time, um, but at the same time, it's right now it's you know four dollars at a time when I lose a buy in, not a big deal. If I start losing. 10, 25, 50 dollars at a time. I think it's going to hurt. I'm going to start playing scared money. So, at least this way I'm shuffling money away when I don't know what I'm doing uh without really thinking about it. It's really just about trying to play my best. You know, win a few hands, um improve all that kind of stuff and it's not about thinking, oh, x percentage of my bankrolls on the table, which is something that has always been a problem for me. I, def- I definitely played overrolled when I was playing no limit because otherwise you know, I have 30 buy-ins now down the 29. Oh, now I'm up to 29 and a half, down to 28. And that's really not a good way for me to be playing. I definitely need to take some time to just play without thinking about my bankroll. And the way for me to do that is to play overrolled. So I think I'll keep doing that for now. Um, I'm going to try and post more hands on Deuces Cracked. Um, maybe recruit some PLO experts to be guests on the podcast and get them to show me the error in my ways. Um uh, otherwise, not a lot going on with me um, in the news this week, um, recording this on Monday. So the big story right now is the whole dog is head jungle man, po- uh, Portuguese poker prodigy. That's a tongue twister. But this whole story, for those of you that haven't been following it, um, basically, it sounds like this guy was giving coaching to some people, um, encouraging them to play a couple of people that he had told them were fish. Um, he would sweat them. They would play these people and get owned pretty hard, and it turns out that it was either him or someone else that he knows. It's still a little fuzzy as details come out um, from what I've seen. Um, who was exactly was playing against them, but uh, the long and short of it is they were basically, he was sweating them and telling or using those hold card information to his advantage, uh, just running them over you know, making it look like running bad, that kind of thing. But to me, it's just such a big setback to internet poker in general that we're, you know, after Black Friday, there's kind of this, this perception among some people, at least, that poker's this illegal thing. It's done on the underground. You know, it's all these degenerates just gambling their money away like we're playing roulette on the internet. Um, And then you hear about stories like this. Not that I think this is going to catch the mainstream. This is not the kind of story that you're going to see on the news. This isn't going to be a 60 minutes piece Um, I mean, I really don't think they're going to be able to catch the guy and make him give the money back through the courts. It's going to be tough. Um, but I think it's the sort of thing that in the community, these people that are casual players and read two plus two, it just doesn't help anything. And I know there's been other cases like this, so it may, you know, I don't know if that makes it worse or if it's just like, oh, it's just one of those things you should just be vigilant, protect your own interests, that sort of thing. Um, I know for me, I've worked with a a few different coaches. I've always been pretty careful about, you know, giving out too much information with someone I don't know. Um, You know, on one hand, I'd like to believe that everyone, you know, that you meet over the internet, especially through poker is, you know, good, honest people, but um, you never know. I mean, some people get dollar signs in their eyes and make stupid decisions. It's hard to tell. Um, 
so there's just a matter, you know, kind of a building up of trust that happens over time. Um, I don't know how long these guys have been getting coaching from him. Um, I personally just don't tend to let people life sweat me. That's not something that I'm really comfortable with. Um, not so much as a trust thing, but just playing. Um, it wouldn't have really occurred to me that the idea that I'd be playing against someone who I, who was looking at my whole cards, but at the same time, I have to think that, you know, red flags are going off when you play against someone and they just seem to have to own you. Again, not that you would suspect that they were, you know, looking at your cards, but I think just the situation seemed a little funny to me. And I think that's why everybody started putting it together is it just, you know, things start not adding up at a certain point. I don't really know what's going to come of, you know, dog, dog is head and jungle man's involvement. It just, especially in the, you know, in the case of dog, uh, it just seems really, really funny to me. I don't, you know, I don't want to accuse anyone without evidence, but just the situation as a whole just seems really messy. Um, I don't, I mean, I know that card runners has dropped him as a coach for the multi accounting aspect of it, but just the whole story just seems really, really bizarre. It's, one of those things that I think, you know, NVG on 2 plus 2 is just going to eat up and continue to talk about until, you know, everyone has been decided guilty at some point by somebody. Um, you know, hopefully that it'll it'll work itself out. It'll, you know, be over. People will move on into other things. Because um, really, I mean, I think to focus our energy on this rather than, you know, getting better at poker or getting poker legalized or something else is just... I don't know. It's a lot of negative energy around it to me. And it just, um, for me, it's hard when I hear stories like this, it just makes me a little more depressed about the whole poker situation. Um, not to sound emo about it. Moving on to something else a little happier. Well, not happier, but you know, funny to me, uh, bleacherreport.com listed their 50 most punchable faces in professional sports. And well, not that I agree that poker is professional sport, but Phil Helmuth made the list at number 12. I of course don't condone violence. I don't think it's the right kind of thing to do, but honestly, like I am, Sometimes a little surprised that no one has thrown a punch at him in all of the, you know, berating that he has done of people that, you know, really, I mean, if he is so much better than them are giving him money every time in terms of equity, he should be happy they're there, uh, be more an ambassador to, you know, amateurs playing the sport, the sport, I just called it the sport, they tricked me, uh, playing the game, because I really think that, you know, it's kind of the Chip Reese thing where I know... Chip was supposed to be kind of known as this guy that would really make all of the, you know, the fish feel welcome when he would, when they would really build the big game around them. Where Helmuth just, I, I feel like if I were to, you know, satellite into a tournament, not really knowing what I'm doing, get at his table, recognize him as that guy from TV, um, be pretty excited, you know, and then I misplay a hand or even, you know, worse, play a hand correctly against someone that is playing like a giant nit. Um, and then I get yelled at, it's not going to make me want to play, play again. It's not going to make me feel welcome in tournaments. Um, I mean, and I think that's a big problem for the, the long term of the game is people, you know, we, we want as many people playing as possible. I mean, I think they, they've upped, you know, the penalties and try to put more rules in place about, you know, swearing and being belligerent at the world series. But for some reason, it seems like Helmuth always gets a walk. I know he got a penalty, um, a couple of years ago, I think it was at the end of the day, he was just going on and on at somebody, um, they called the floor, they issued him a penalty that was going to happen the next day. Surprise, surprise, the day starts and, uh, they've waived the penalty. Um, it's just, it's the sort of thing that I think 
it makes things look bad. It's the same sort of problem the NBA has, you know, if somebody, some prominent player goes running around, except it's even worse in poker because you're not driving fans away. You're driving away people that would really be, you know, putting money on the table, playing the game. Um, and I, I think with tournaments, you know, if they want to keep having bigger and bigger main events, I think one of the keys is to make these online qualifiers, if there's an online, uh, make these qualifiers, you know, feel welcome in the game. You know, it is a big deal to people like, at least like me, where I, you know, a $10,000 buy-in tournament would be a lot. If I were to satellite in, it would be pretty, pretty exciting. I don't want to, you know, sit down at the table and get yelled at by some big name pro. That's just not, I feel like it undoes the whole, like, you know, could an amateur win this time sort of thing where, you know, you can't play against a, you know, a top-notch tennis player or uh, pick your sport, um, chess as an activity. Um, it's, you know, you, with poker, you could on any given day, an amateur could beat a pro. I mean, that's what kind of the main event has, you know, showed us for a lot of 2003 on was these people that, you know, were competent at poker, but weren't superstars, you know, had a chance of winning the whole thing. And I think, you know, a more, a more pleasant, not, it doesn't have to be, I mean, family-friendly, everyone holds hands and skips together sort of thing, but really just where there's a level of respect that everybody has for the other players, and I think that's important. I mean, and it'd be different if this is a one-time thing. I mean, I think everybody at some point has taken a bad beat and just sort of lost it. Even Tommy Angelo at some point, imagine that, has lost his temper. But I think the thing is that with Helmuth, it's become a pattern. It's not punished. It's not... No one does anything about it because it's good for TV. But I think... That's been a common theme is like, oh, it's good for TV and poker. Like, maybe we'll make an exception here or there. I mean, I know that was part of, you know, not to change the subject drastically, but I can because there's no one else here and I can do whatever I want. Um, I know with Daniel Negrano, um, that rule about being able to talk about your hand, he's like, oh, it's good for TV. But good for TV shouldn't be what's driving rules of poker. It should be what's good for poker. Um, I mean, it would be better for TV if every time you bust it out, they hit you in the face with a pie and, you know, every time you had aces, you had to sit in a dunk tank and the guy who, you know, had kings got to throw walls at you and try and knock you in. I mean, that would be far more entertaining in terms of just like television audience, but it's not good for the game. And I think that's the line is like, how can we make the game that exists better for television? Not how can we change the rules to make television more interesting? And I think the new direction of ESPN is a lot better. I think it's a lot more about skill and poker. You know, it's a little less of the circus atmosphere of running around from all in to all in and that sort of thing. But um, again, I just, to me, I think the the whole Helmuth, you know, dramatic entrance, throw a temper tantrum sort of routine has just gotten really stale. I, th- I mean, I think it's still enjoyable for some of us to watch him lose, but I really don't want to base, you know, ESPN coverage around that. I don't, I mean, honestly, if he played like an adult, that would make me happy. I, I have no reason to want him to to suffer. I don't want him to lay on the floor and cry. Um, he does that on his own. I just, that's not part of the game to me. I really, I would like to see, you know, the, the level raised a little bit is all, I guess. Uh, but that's, I mean, that's enough for rant about this for now. I'm sure I will have other things to say about it later. Uh, let's get to the interview with 2-4 Offsuit. Uh, I'll be back in a second. All right, guys, I'm here with 2-4 Offsuit, uh, or Jordan, depending on whether you guys like calling people by real names or not. How's hey, what's up, guys? So to get things going, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your rise to poker stardom, how you, be- <laughs> how you became a Juices Crack coach, all that kind of stuff? Okay. Um, 
I started off playing poker in a very, uh, very friendly, small, ridiculous home game. Uh, I think my sophomore year of high school uh, with a bunch of my buddies and we played all kinds of ridiculous games, um, most of which have a lot of wild cards and straight flushes, losing to higher straight flushes and five of a kinds and stuff like that. Um, and somehow I managed to run well and made a little bit of money and I have some dumb friends. So I thought this poker thing is pretty easy. Um, <laughs> that was right around the time that, well, I guess we did that for a while and just like a group of my buddies would always get together and like just hang out. We literally played for pennies, um, nickels and dimes. Like if somebody ever bet like 50 cents, that was like a huge bet. We all just had jars of change that we played with. And things kind of went that way until like right around the summer of 2003 when Moneymaker won. And it was just kind of more on TV and we, we kind of actually gravitated away from those to kind of playing like No Limit Hold'em. But with all like the crazy games that we played, No Limit just seemed kind of boring until we like had like little like sit and go tournaments kind of and just played some some cash with it. And like my one buddy actually bought Phil Helmy's book and I was really, really jealous of him. Did, so I ended up yeah. I was gonna out. say, did that end his poker career? That was my first poker book <laughs> and I felt like it in some ways just screwed me up for years. Oh yeah. Um well it, it at least gave him like an idea of what was good, like starting hands. Cause basically the way that we played was everybody would play every hand and it was all post flop. Like if, if you didn't see the flop, you just had to sit there while everyone else played and that would just be really boring and embarrassing. So, uh, having like starting hands and knowing that it was okay to fold was like a big thing. And so I, he wouldn't let me borrow it. And I really hated him for that because, it's a it's play poker like the pros and of course i wanted to be a pro so um i eventually ended up like getting it myself and reading it and like kind of getting an idea and right when like i felt like maybe i could be like one of the best players in our game we all went off to college and i, I went out of state so uh the end of my poker career was almost right there but fortunately uh ended up in a dorm with some young 18 year old guys and we all like poker too so um that was about the time that i started playing online and one of my buddies he had like a kind of a serious home game in his town where i think it was like one two or something like that and they all had like summer jobs that like paid pretty well and bankrolled them for that and so he like started our our uh, dorm room games and he was really good and like he he won basically every time and he would play until uh if he ever got stuck he would just play until he had every single person's money on the table and then we'd all get pissed and be like oh man we should have quit earlier but he actually ended up becoming my best friend so uh he helped me out and he started playing online a little bit and i started playing online and he was usually like a limit above me like the first day that he ever played online for money, I remember it like really well. His buddy sent him ten dollars and he ran it up to like a hundred and twenty at one cent, two cent. It was just amazing. I was like, this is ridiculous. So uh, we ended up playing like a really a lot of poker. 
And this was before there were HUDs and stuff like that. We just kind of talked and played and we made friends with a couple of people that were like regulars at our limits. Uh, some of which, some of these people have gone on, like that was like right around the time when they were coming up and have ended up in like really high stakes. So um, I actually met November Niner, uh, Matt Gianetti, through uh, one of my other roommates because he went to high school like right where we went to college and uh, one of my roommates went to high school with him. And so we made friends with him and we all talked strategy and eventually kind of rose up through the limits. And I think the end of my freshman year, I was playing like one, two and uh, taking some shots at two, four and things just went really well. Um, back in the day, things were really easy and everyone was really bad, including myself. So um, how would you say like the level of play? I mean, I didn't start playing until like 2005 or 2006. Like at that point, like one, two, is that equivalent to like the micros now? Is it totally different or is it? It, it was um, like limping was still like really, really popular. And for I think until like 2005, at least there were no six max games on Poker Stars where I played. It was like all full ring. So there were questions like, you know, should is ace queen like good enough to raise if you're in middle position? Wow. And like that was like a real question that I had. And I was like, you know, it's not that good of a hand and stuff like that. So the games were just really, really um, underdeveloped, I would say. And then after the UGA passed, that's when things like really started to get hard. And people actually like that was right around the time when like three betting light became like really popular. Uh, before, if people three bet, it was like aces and kings and sometimes ace queen, sometimes ace king and sometimes queens. But like it was just ridiculously tight with the three betting. It was much more like how live poker was played is played. I guess still. Okay. Which I guess makes sense because I mean, that's everyone's poker experience was those limpy live games. Then they just started playing online and would just do the same thing. So yeah, like the, the way that I made money was that if people limped is that I didn't limp and I like isolated people's limps and that was all you needed to do to beat up to like five ten pretty much just kind of be aggressive. And like, I didn't know how to like read hands or even like board textures really. Like, I didn't understand that, like, board textures, certain board textures have more draws in them than other ones. I was like, well, there's no flush draw, so we can't have a flush draw. But I didn't really think of, like, dry boards and wet boards and stuff. And I got up to, like, 510 and 10.20 without, like, knowing stuff like that. So it was really easy. Wow. Um, and then uh, right around the time that Ugia passed, I was... I had like a really hard semester and I was coming off like a pretty big downswing that was um, probably, you know, a decent amount of like me playing bad, but also like running bad and not like adapting to the light three betting. I just didn't know how at all. <laughs> I was like, these guys, they just three bet me all the time and I just have to always fold and didn't make the connection. And four bet bluffing was uh, just unheard of. So, so, um, I took a while off poker, kind of, like, just played it pretty casually. And when I came back, I just had, like, a real hard time. Like, I had to move down to, like, 2-4 uh, and 3-6 and eventually, like, 1-2. And uh, 
And that was right when Deuces Crack launched, and I joined immediately and have been a member ever since and started watching videos and improving and learning how to think about poker a lot better. What was, was there like a big aha moment when you started watching videos that it's like, whether it's like light four betting or whatever, just something that it's like, now I get it. It all makes sense. It it was more like a massive ton of them. Um, like, the first, like one of the very first video, I think maybe the first video that Deuces Cracked released as Deuces Cracked instead of 3bet.net was printing rating, uh, printing raid versus white line. And they had like a competition to see like who could win more money in like a heads up session. And just listening to Jay talk absolutely just blew my mind. He's like a certain spot where, um, it was like an ace high board and he bet on the flop and bet on the turn and bet on the river. And he's like, okay, he's never folding any ace here. I was like, really? I, I would fold like a lot of aces there. And then I just found out like, yeah, you know, he's never folding any ace there. And it just kind of made me like realize what, what am I thinking about? Like I'm kind of not really basing my, my strategy on anything logical i'm just kind of like these are the things that i did that made me money so now i'm going to repeat them it's like you read helmuth's book doesn't that sound yeah, like a, him right a lot this <laughs> worked actually... for me a long time ago i'm just going to keep doing it regardless of oh. what everyone else does i just had an aha moment right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um i think that one of the biggest uh, another really big part was I took Beluga Whale's first like group coaching session and just him kind of walking through some different categories like what, what do you think about somebody's range when they check back a flop that you would normally see bet and like what do you what do you think like show me five hand histories where you check raise the flop. And I was looking, I was like, I don't check raise the flop as a bluff like ever. And he's like, well, why not? I was like, I, don't, I just don't know how. And so we talked about like some good stuff like that. And I think that overall, like those eight weeks really just took everything that I'd learned up to that point and really like uh, solidified it in my mind and gave me like a really good concrete framework to work with. So I'd say that was probably like one of the biggest things. And I hear that he's coaches cheap these days. So if anyone uh, listening wants his coaching, it's really good. Was that your first time doing coaching? Um, I've actually had a lot of coaches. Um, I started off getting coaching from DJ Sensei and Wilt on Tilt, uh, like right off the bat. And they they helped me with, I don't know, the the poker coaching industry was also kind of young at that point. So it was kind of like a sweat session and just kind of talking about some things and going over hand histories, like what they would do in this spot and what they would do in that spot. And my coaching with Beluga Whale was a lot more like theoretical. So that it taught me how to think on my own and that's not to bash either of their coaching, but I know that they had just started out coaching and they're much more experienced now. And I think that Wilt until is one of, if not the best coaches on deuces cracked or the internet. So yeah, I, mean, I know for me, like that was like, I mean, you kind of have to start at like the what would you do in this spot sort of coaching and then move into the theoretical of like, how do you even figure out the answer to that? I think that's kind of 
a natural progression, at least based on my what I've seen. So, yeah. Have you got coaching? I've, yeah, I've had coaching. I mean, I've had coaching from Tecmo, and then I've had real coaching too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. No. I now that he's not here, I can say whatever I want. I, not that I wouldn't say that to his face. He knows. Um, <laughs> no, I've done some group coaching. I did um, Tuba Steve and Why Bothers. Um, what do they call them? The that Wacom course they did. Yep. Um, I've done some one-on-one coaching with a couple different people, but yeah, it's really like, I haven't had a long-term relationship with a coach. It's been, I'll do coaching for a while and then either get frustrated or, you know, not really know what I don't know next and stop shelling out the money. I get kind of cheap. I mean, yeah, I was, I I was playing 50 and L at my, at my peak. So it wasn't like I had a ton of money to throw around for coaching, but um, I mean, I know like that Wacom course that I took was with Steve and Matt was really like you kind of what you were saying about the beluga whale thing, just that it was like, oh, I didn't even think about whether or not I should be doing that. That wasn't even an option in my mind of check raising as a bluff or light three betting. Just my brain didn't even process that as something I might want to consider. And I had to reevaluate my whole game. It really, yeah. it, in some ways it screwed me up because I had to, I kind of gutted everything I knew and started over. And so I, there was back to that whole trial and error thing, but I think it was, it's definitely, I mean, people that haven't had coaching that have been playing a while, I think are missing out on, you know, a, a way to kind of get outside themselves and see their game from a, you know, a perspective they wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people forget that it's like coaching and that if you look at other areas of life that where people get coaching, like sports teams or something like that, your coach is there not to just like show you what you're doing wrong, but like to, you know, keep your head up and like keep you motivated and just someone that you can like talk to if you're having like issues with whatever it is that you're getting coaching with. And that's something that I try and provide in my coaching at least is, you know, you can always bug me on aim or Skype or something like that. And, you know, if you got rocked and playing this guy heads up, you can tell me about it and stuff like that. I mean, is that something as you're doing talking to people that you're finding actually helps your game too, to be kind of talking through tough spots or just inspiring people kind of pumps you up as well? Or is it really just kind of it, you do it for them and that's it and then you have your own coaching for yourself? Um, I, th- I think that it always helps you out. Like, you know, um, there's two sayings, I guess, and I'm probably going to screw these up. The one that I like is... Uh, like if you if you can teach it to somebody then you really know it and the other one is like those who can do and those who can't teach <laughs> and i don't like that one as much <laughs> but uh i think that always like one of the things i always did before i would sit down and play was like go through and answer some forum posts and just kind of get my mind thinking about poker and that's always uh anytime that you can like kind of kickstart your mind and your thought process, it's going to be good and help your own game as well. Um, as for like the strategy stuff, there there aren't as many spots that come up where I kind of have to like really think through it as there used to be, um, just because I'm more familiar with a lot of the spots, but they still come up and it's still like, you know, talking with other people always helps your game, I think. Like even if, as long as you uh, are open to suggestion and like keep an open mind, I think that you can talk with like anybody and at least like either, you know, kind of just sort through the logic of it. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and speaking of the forums, I know this is something you and I had talked about a little bit before we started recording that 
I know some people, I mean, I know people are reading the forums and you're kind of ghosting threads or whatever that I know for me, the more I post in the, the forum, the better I got faster. Like it was noticeable, you know, the weeks that I was posting. I mean, is that trolling or poker? Uh, uh, well, both, really. I mean, you have to admit, though, my trolling has gotten way better since I got called out by Mitch in that why does Nixon hate Tecmo so much thread? Like, I felt like that was an aha moment for me. I never thought of making an entire thread devoted to trolling. So, oh, yeah. I'd I, say that your trolling has definitely improved a lot, especially post Black Friday. I have a lot more time on my hands to troll than I did before Black Friday. <laughs> My my priorities have shifted slightly. If I can't make money at poker, at least I can, you know, keep track of how many times someone tells me that I've crossed the line. That's something. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I just derailed your thread right there. No, anyways, what are you no, talking that's, about? No, that's that's fine. That's probably more interesting than anything I would say about poker. Um, no, I was just gonna say that in terms of like poker learning, when I was, I did a little bit of coaching with guys that were playing like five and L, ten and L, and it was always like, hey, why don't you just take a hand a day and post it in a thread and then ask a question when someone replies. And that's something I know for me that just posting a hand, looking at what everybody says with an open mind and evaluating why I agree or disagree with each person. Mm -hmm. I, I found that changed my kind of ability to think about poker hands on the fly faster than any other coaching I ever got or anything else. And it's free, which is awesome. Yeah. They always encourage people to, you know, post a lot. A lot of people that come to me for coaching, I don't know if it's like they have other communities that they go to, like 2 plus 2 or uh, some other coaching site or something like that, but they always have like less than 10 posts. I'm like, well, you know, just get involved, like post some hands and uh, just get your mind like going about poker at least. I mean, other, I mean, other than the forums, is there anything else that you can think that someone can do to kind of move their game along at that level. I mean, I'm, at what level? Like, as far as like the speed that with your posting hands, like if you were to post a hand every day and reply to a couple, I mean, to me, that's kind of the best thing you can do to improve your game outside of coaching. Are there other things that you can think of as far as like going through your own database or whatever as a poker player to kind of move yourself along? Yeah, um, just make poker friends. Seriously, like it doesn't have to be a coach. It can be somebody that's like playing your level or even like somebody that plays lower than you. If you can just talk with them and say like, hey, what do you think about this hand? Like that's basically how I learned to beat up to like 510 uh, before like any of the po poker training industry was around. Like I just talked with people that were as good or better than me or people that I just you know, where my poker friends that even played lower than me, I was like, what do you think about this hand? Or what would you do here? And that's always free. Like, you know, even if you don't know anyone, like go to the members, uh, a secret. Agent. One other thing that I did, uh, that really helped me a lot, which is kind of more difficult to do if you kind of don't already like have a foundation for it, but just using poker stove and finding out like, playing around with the ranges and the equities a lot. Um, I did it specifically because I was playing the cap games on full tilt and I was getting coaching with uh, Steve Cesaro. Um, he's really, really, really good. And one of the things that he told me was just like, make yourself an Excel, an Excel spreadsheet and like basically map out every hand's equ 
equity in like a shove situation that you're going to be in like fairly common, like a 30 big blinds, like three bet shove or like a four bet shove situation and map it out versus different ranges. And I literally spent like a day doing it and I started to see like a lot of patterns emerge and, you know, you don't have to find like the exact cutoff point, like Jack three offsuits a shove and Jack deuce offsuits not, but just kind of seeing the way that the equities fill out, like knowing that, you know, in most situations, like King 10 suited is going to be uh, like almost as good as King Jack suited or like five, four suited is going to be almost as good as like whatever offsuit hand is. And just kind of seeing the way that it fills out. Um, but that's a little bit more complicated and you might need some help with that. But just playing around with equities in general is uh, always going to be helpful and it helps you with like assigning ranges and uh knowing like the different variables yeah i mean that to, like the, being able to think in terms of ranges and like i guess not even combinatorics but just the idea of like what percentage of his hands do i beat here like how do i do against the other hands that sort of thing i for me was it took a long time but all of a sudden it was like okay i got it now i have to think what aces would he have here you know what suited connectors would he have here that kind of thing um, yeah, but I think it's, I mean, poker stove, it took, I just kind of sat there and click things the first, I don't know how long I used it and I never really learned anything because it was like, Oh, percentages. Like, yeah, I lost that hand. Right. I guess I was 50, 50. That's good. Like I never really was able to put it together to help my game. I don't think until I had, I don't know, probably a year or so under my belt. Yeah, it's it's like a really simple tool now that we were more familiar with it, but it definitely uh, was a little bit daunting at first. Like, how how am I supposed to know what hands are in his range? Like, um, and just kind of playing around with that. But one of the things that I learned um, was to like take a base assumption and be like, I I don't know what his range is, but like, how wide does his range have to be for this to be okay? And then once I found that out, it's kind of like solving for like set the other side for zero and solve for X. And so like once I figured out how wide his range had to be for it to be profitable, I'd look at the range and be like, is that realistic? Uh, I don't know. That seems like really, really wide. So then it was probably like a bad call or a bad shove or something like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, are there other, I mean, I, I haven't played a lot of heads up. I tried to do it for like two or three months and just, it's really hard for me to take a new game or a new, I guess, I guess not even a new game, but just to play heads up versus six max to even figure out what I don't know. And all of that, like if someone is getting into heads up now, like, is it going through printy rating? Is that still like the, the beginning of heads yeah. up? I, I like to uh, advise people to watch printing rating one. I think that even though like some of the ranges that they talk about are outdated, like the principles are really, really solid. And then um, follow that up with printing rating three, which came out earlier this year, uh, where they kind of go back over some of those ranges and kind of update them for more modern standards. And also, as always, like I recommend to anyone, even people that don't play No Limit, uh, Doggy's Heads Up episode one. Yeah, that that still is one of my favorite things to when I'm I want to watch a video that I don't really want to sit down and take notes on something new. I just go back and watch that one again, and I feel like yeah. it. It's 
it's good to refresh. Like every once in a while, there's like an aha moment of something that had slipped through the cracks before. And it's just good to like think about, uh, take an approach to learning poker. Um, I think the outlines like a really good kind of uh, analogy that you're like building your ship and you can either build it through like tons and tons of trial and error, or you can like build it through like really good blueprints. But at the same time, you kind of have to still get out there and hammer boards and nails together. Right. If, if that's how people build ships these days, I, I think we're a little bit past that, but yeah, I don't, I don't know what, in what era he was building a ship, but it made sense to me at the time, but I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, moving away from coaching, I know you mentioned being friends with Matt Gianetti. So obviously he is your your favorite to win the the main event this year. Yeah, I, I, I am, actually have, uh, he has some tickets. So me and a couple of my buddies are going out in November to go watch it live. And I'm definitely going to be rooting for him. If I, if like he busts out or something like that, I would definitely like Ben Lamb to win. But uh, that's about my only two picks. Do you have? I mean, do you have thoughts on the field? I don't know how many of those guys you're familiar with. I'm not as up on who is who online and all of that. Like I, I didn't know who Phil Collins was before this, um, but apparently he was kind of a big deal. Um, I mean, yeah, that's that's pretty much the only other name that I know. Um, I, I know. Uh, Ben Lamb and Gianetti, and I heard that uh, Phil Collins was, I think his name was like USC something, and I recognize that from online. Did you watch but, all the, the live main oh, event yeah. coverage and all that? It was awesome. I loved it. Except for when Helmuth was on, and then I was uh, tearing out my eyeballs <laughs> and eardrums. You weren't listening to him thinking like, ah, this is like just like everything I learned from your book. It's perfect. It really was terrible. Like, just it was such a stark difference. And I know that you guys talked about this uh, last time between like him and Olivier Bousquet. Like, just you know, he's like, oh, Ben Lamb has an excellent raid here. He he senses the weakness. That's, that's what it was <laughs> all about. Like sensing the weakness. And he's like, okay, well he has a set there. That's why he raised. Well, he sensed the weakness in the other guy. That's why I put in that bet right there. And it's like, wow. Um, I think that um, some somebody tweeted something funny where, like, the first couple times that he was on, he never used the word range. And then it's like, somebody needs to tell Phil Hummus that he should use the word range more. And he used it, well, I think that his range is a pocket pair. And it's like, that's it. <laughs> He's like, it was like somebody uh, just opens in, in late position. So he's like, yeah, I think his range is a pocket pair here. I'm like, do you know what a range is? <laughs> it's... I, I really don't. I mean, I don't, I hate to bash Helmuth all the time, but I just, I just feel like he's a guy that if he could put his ego aside and spend, you know, a couple of weeks with one of someone that really understands kind of range-based thinking, you know, a top online player. I think he could be an amazing player. I really think that like he has his ability to read people is definitely above average. Combine mm-hmm. that with like a base like I was I was watching with my girlfriend and she's like he seems really angry at math. And I had never <laughs> thought of it like that, but that just describes him so perfectly. He doesn't he is not just against math, he is pissed off at it. Yeah, that <laughs> sounds true and it's 
like it's so results oriented thinking like he's like you know what i i got the kings and i laid it down because i knew he had the aces i knew he had the aces i'm like well okay sometimes he has aces that's true what about when he bluffs you or what about when he has ace king and he's just i just don't there's so many like logical inconsistencies with the way that he plays hand sometimes it really just makes my head hurt um one of the things i think chuck told me he's like just imagine how how well he had to have run for his entire career to like complain about bad beats that much yeah i like <laughs> like Mattisau, i understand because you watch Mattisau, he does get really unlucky it is kind of frustrating <laughs> to watch it's like he's gonna win finally nope lost again yeah but, no I, I mean i think Helmuth really like I think the poker brat temper tantrum thing I guess was kind of a way to get attention at first, but he's like lost all sense of like show like doing it for show, and it's really he really just like feels so upset any time he loses any hand ever. Like the whole if there weren't luck, I'd win every time. I think deep down he really believes that as nonsensical a statement as that is. <laughs> deep down inside of me feels like he should win every tournament. He just plays so well. <laughs> And I just think of that poker after dark that he was on with Esfandiari and Locke where he was like blinding down. They were three handed and he refused to like raise and just this he was like steadfast that he would not give in to playing their game of poker where you like be aggressive and open up your range. Yeah. Did you see the uh, the heads up in the 50K when it got down to him and Rast? He like limped 80 percent of the buttons heads up. Yeah. I was just like, I don't know. Uh, setting a trap uh, that might explain how many seconds he got yeah he got the heads up and then just limp the button it's frustrating because on one hand like i would like to see him like put on a good show and like you know win 12 bracelets and it's good for poker because it's exciting that like you know the top champion is still winning after all these years but he's Mm -hmm. if he wins i think it's going to be just a big luck box sort of thing and i don't think it's (laughs) i mean i'd much rather see like you know a lamb or a gianetti win the main event i think it's a better testament to like the skill of poker than like to see Helmuth go deep in the main event. I don't first, I don't know how I could watch that. I, <laughs> it's just so frustrating, but I know, I know. I just want to help know. him after his book helped me. I want to help him. Like it's tough. Cause a lot of people that don't pay attention to poker, like at all, it's just kind of very peripheral for them. They, they want to know how Phil Helmuth is doing and they, they care. Because they they see him as kind of like a a poker superstar. It's weird how that poker superstar thing like froze like ten years ago. But yeah, and it's it's tough because you don't you don't know who like the live poker superstars are really like anymore. People just kind of associate it with the same old names. Like I'm sure that you know a lot of the people that I grew up. Uh, like came up with when I first started playing like online poker, but then kind of got out of poker. They probably think that TJ Cloutier is still like a big name pro player. Yeah. I mean, if so, you could join, <laughs> Oh, what's that site? I we talked about like the first episode that Jamie gold, the one Jamie gold's promoting has TJ as a, one of their name pros. And it's like, <laughs> I just can't picture oh. him like being able to turn his computer on and like get online and like, I don't know. He's like a, grayscale monitor and just like clicking things. <laughs> um, as far as Gianetti, I was going to say, do you have like great stories of like oh, playing with I do him have... and degeneracy well, or something? I don't know. 
Yeah. Um, so it, the guy, my best friend, um, who got who got me into online poker, um, me, him, and Giannetti uh, went golfing, and we we were throwing some bets around. It was mostly the two of them because they played higher than I did. I was playing like five ten, and they were playing like ten twenty and twenty five fifty. But we're we're just kind of like betting on stuff, and I'm not good at golf. And my buddy Kevin, he's not like great at golf. But Giannetti like played golf in high school, and he can I don't know. He's he's way better than both of us. So we would bet on like stupid stuff, like uh like three to one on this putt, or like five to one on this uh, this chip. And the two of them like got back and forth, and I think they were down. One of them was down like like 700 or a thousand at one point. And the other one just, you know, was like, all right, we'll, we'll play double or nothing on this next bet. So you can like win it back. And they ended up like really close to even. And so Giannetti was, he went to school in Texas, but he would like come back to his home in, uh, in New York where we went to school. And so he was just home for the weekends. So we all went out partying and, most of his time that he spent in Texas, uh, I feel like he spent it playing online poker instead of kind of like going out because he didn't really know anyone there before he went. So when he – basically what I'm saying is that he's kind of a lightweight, or at least he was <laughs> back then. So we would go out. Um, we just started like pre-gaming at our place, and he got like hammered, 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 hammered off of like maybe like six or seven beers and he also like just not being part of like the college party scene he was kind of really bad at drinking games too so we played like some quarters where you like try and bounce the quarters into shot glasses and he could just not get it for the life of him like he was bad at like beer pong um but he's gotten better at beer pong and all these kind of things so later we roll out to this party and some people are playing quarters uh speed quarters there and so he's completely drunk he's a lightweight he's bad at quarters and he wants to bet on it and so um we're watching him i'm like and so he wants to bet my buddy kevin so he bets him like i think they like started off like at like a couple hundred and it got up to a thousand that he could uh make it it was like bouncing it on a countertop onto the lower counter by like the sink area into the shot glass. So like one bounce and then in. And he had like five tries to do it. And my buddy Kevin gave him three to one odds. So his first five tries, he completely whiffs it. And uh, so he owes Kevin a thousand. And then he said, all right, let's, let's do it again. Um, one more time, uh, double or nothing. And so he he ended up making it on like his fourth shot. So now it was, or I think they took the same odds on that. So now he's up two thousand. And then he's like, "All right, one more double or nothing. Let's do it." And he like sank it on his first or second shot. And my buddy Kevin like owed him eight grand right there, which he he told everyone at the party like how excited he was and none of these people knew him because he he didn't go to school there but he was just like everyone and kevin was so pissed he just like pretty much just walked home right there logged into poker stars sent him over the money and passed out in a fit of rage (laughs) i've never heard the phrase passed out in a fit of rage before 
<laughs> closed his eyes angrily and was asleep. Like literally just like a fuck my life moment. Like not planning to lose $8,000 on freaking drinking games. So is there any every- chance that Gianetti is a quarters hustler and just you guys no, fell right none. into it? None. He's he's just he runs good. He runs good. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we, we didn't want to talk about that too much afterwards, but I think now it's kind of lightened up. He just runs good in everything. Like, I remember we went out one time in Albany and we got all drunk, and he went into some pizza place, and some peop- some lady like handed him like a contest thing, and it turns out he won a cruise out of it. Like, didn't even remember entering. So he just won a cruise for two somewhere nice and uh, good times. Did he take Kevin to make up for that bet? No. No, but <laughs> uh, one spring break we went to Jamaica, and he he came with like with his girlfriend. It was like Kevin and a bunch of like my buddies went down, and there was this giant like trampoline out in the water. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's like a floaty trampoline out in the ocean, and he. Basically, we were like jumping off the side, and Kevin uh, jumped off the side and did like a barrel roll and hit him like right square in the tooth and knocked his tooth out. So, kind of got back at him. <laughs> yes. I yeah. I was, I was gonna say it's not really kind of. I was gonna say like an eye for an eye, but then I realized like tooth for a tooth, like maybe it's a little too close to home. I don't know, but that is pretty awesome. Yep. So, um, but he, he's like a really good guy and he's really, really, really good at poker. He's been, um, he's been playing live in Vegas, um, in high stakes games for pretty much like the last four or five years. And, um, not so much online after he got out there and just like, he's always, uh, enjoyed playing live. Um, even when we the only casino we could go to was Turning Stone which is really ghetto, uh, or it used to be. It's it's much nicer now, but it used to be really ghetto. They had one to no limit where you could only buy in for 100, and then they had uh, 5, 10, 20 big game that ran on the weekends, and that was uncapped. So it was either like 1, 2, or 5, 10, and 20. So he, he would play in that, and there were some like pretty big stacks. I remember one time he played for like 36 hours straight in that game while we were there and we were like, all right, we're going to bed, wake up the next morning, go down. He's still there, still playing. And then like later that night we all left. That's, I don't know. I can't do it. I don't, I don't know how people play for more than like 45 minutes. That's about my max. It's time (laughs) too much. 45 minutes. That's like 10 hands. I know that's, I don't play live very much. That's why I don't have the patience for it. It's definitely it's definitely different. Yeah, I'm thinking about making the transition now that I mean online is what it is. I should start playing live, but it's just it's frustrating to me. But I think Tommy Angelo just said like you kind of have to just understand that it's going to be a very different game and just accept it for what it is. And once I kind of took that approach to it, I stopped being like, "Oh, this is so fucking slow." Like I I can't all these old people smell terrible and they play like five hands an hour. But um, it's kind of fun. It, 
there's definitely a social aspect, but if you're not having fun, then I would not advise playing live poker because that's there are much better ways to spend your time. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of uh, accepting that it's not the same and that I'm kind of having to take a step back in terms of like reevaluating how games work and all of that. And that's if I see it as a new thing, I think it's fine. I mean, I think that's Tommy's advice for everything is just take a step back <laughs> and accept it as it is. And really, if you apply that to life, life is so much easier. It really is. Oh, absolutely. I that was another really big thing. Uh, was I an aha moment was understanding that you know you don't have to tilt like crazy. <laughs> it's not like a, a right that you have. Yeah, um, and that that definitely helps us a lot. And I stopped being. I was never like a really like an angry tilter, but I would quietly just like tilt, 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 and then just call off like my tenth buy-in and be like. All right. Well, if I lose one more, then I'll quit. <laughs> Which I think is the worst. That's kind of how I was too. And it was, oh, I guess I am tilting, and I have been tilting for the last three hours. Like that's good to know. Like, but if you're angry and you're throwing things, it's hard to convince yourself. Like, no, I'm fine. I just smashed some stuff, but otherwise, I'm great. But if you're just sitting <laughs> yeah. there, kind of like just getting frustrated, like I'm going to get that guy back. Like he keeps hitting hands. I'm not going. to You know, I'll just play more hands and open up, and then I can beat him. It's probably more destructive and destructive over a longer period of time but yeah i mean that or you could do like the b buddy tilt which i don't know if if you'd start playing at that but there used to be this high stakes player on stars called b buddy and he was like he was pretty good turns out later that like you know he, he wasn't spectacular or anything but um like he was really like one of the tough regulars in the games and then every once in a while he would just auto ship you know, 200 hands in a row and then quit and lose like 50 buy-ins. And I was like, how do you, how do you, what happens to this guy in his house where, you know, he's, he's going and he's making like a good money and he's tough to play against. And then something just snaps and he's like, you know what I'll do? I'll just shove all in 50 hands in a row. I bet you I can win some. Yeah. yeah. I just, Yeah. That's the kind of tilt that like you just spend like the next month just thinking about that one night that you just lost your mind and like now you're playing just to try and make up for that. But Or you just take the balls approach and just black out and don't remember the whole thing. I guess that would work as well. <laughs> I mean that was for me heads up like I, if I went on tilt for 15 minutes like I undid all of the good I had done in like the three days previous. Not, yeah, not to that extent but just – chasing or trying to get back at somebody that was running good. If I was playing well up until that point, I was no longer. But. Yeah, definitely in heads up, you have to keep a very like even emotional keel because there's like, you, you just get into so many more situations and it seems so much more personal because it's just one-on-one. -on -one. Like even in, in like six max, if you're, you know, going up against some guy like back and forth battling, you know, there's still like other players involved and like sometimes they do things where you, you can't just continually keep battling with him. But heads up, you are playing like every hand and it's just one on one and there's no breaks until somebody goes bust or quits. So it's very easy to kind of lose the handle. Yeah. Fly off the handle, lose the handle, it, you, lose your cool handle. You I don't know. You fly so far off the handle that you don't even know where it is anymore. Exactly. Um, but yeah, speaking of flying off the handle and losing place, that's 
I, I don't even remember what I asked you before that, but it definitely wasn't that. Um, <laughs> but I, I guess we'll wrap it up here. Um, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Um, Absolutely. At least, um, at least I have to listen to it again. It, that's um, that's actually my plan. Is I feel like if people come on as a guest, they feel obligated to listen to this one, maybe the next one, and slowly we add like one person to our listener base, and then yeah, and then I guess I have to have everybody back on again. I'll have like one episode, like a reunion. <laughs> everybody that's ever been on just calls in at once, and then they have to listen to that one, and that's our biggest show ever. Nice. That, that would be a, a good way to go out if you ever go out. And that's the one that we monetize. We put ads on that one. And then I, oh, yeah. I make dimes, like literally dimes, not like that whole metaphorical when the people talk about making a dime, I'll probably make like 10 cents. But <laughs> sweet. Um, Sweetness. My goal well, is I just um, compete with Haywall head to head. So really, like if I can make a dime, I bet they've never done that. So haha. Well, they do have those shirts. Yeah, they they have the shirts. <laughs> that's true. You, do you know anyone that has a hayball shirt who's not on hayball? Um, no. Yeah. Okay. All right. Would you like to buy a Badoogie All Stars T-shirt while you're here? Um, no. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> we'll see if you get invited back to the re- the reunion then. Oh gosh, dang it. Um, well, <laughs> maybe maybe we could do like a affiliate deal where I like shovel people towards Badoogie All Stars, and that gets me the T-shirt. That we can let's talk about that. Okay, we'll talk about that <laughs> offline. All right, thanks again for coming on. All right, see ya. All right, and that does it for episode ten. Thanks for listening. Uh, I'm sorry if the lack of Tecmo makes you sad, and you're welcome if the lack of Tecmo makes you happy. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Badoogie All Stars. Uh, if you want to send me an email, it's Nixon at NixonTheGrouch.com. I'd love to hear your feedback on this first solo episode. I think it's going to be. Probably solo for a while. Not really sure yet exactly what's going to happen, but um, any feedback on things you liked, didn't like would be appreciated. Um, If you want to say the things you liked publicly and didn't like privately, that would be more appreciated, but that's up to you. Uh, Looks like I'm going to try and go closer to weekly. I'm not really sure how well that'll work, but uh, hopefully a little more frequent. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, and that way you'll get the updates uh, as I put them out. Uh, Until next time, this is Nixon the Grouch. Bye.